it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're looking for me at 48th and 6th, if you're looking for me at the 15th floor, don't. I'm not there. It's my privilege to be at the opening of Lieutenant Michael P. Murphy Navy SEAL Museum. It is the grand opening on June 28th. It'll be happening uh, probably in two hours. you got about 1,000 people here, VIPs, the second SEAL Museum in the entire country, and we're privileged to be here. Michael Murphy grew up on Long Island, uh, depicted in Lone Survivor based on Marcus Luttrell's story. Marcus is the only survivor. 19 lost their lives that day. And uh, built off this, and you get to see the entire legacy of all the SEALs dating from 1942 to present is really remarkable in 5,000 square feet. We'll talk about that. This hour will also be joined by um, by Michael uh, uh, Sowers, who is uh, with the museum and he's uh, very much a part of all the pageantry here today. He is uh, Michael is uh, also a retired Navy SEAL and CEO of Forged and started the Murph Challenge, which is uh, it's your cross-training to the 10th power, something that my next guest is very familiar with because she seems to work out all the time, and that is Governor Christy Nome. But before we get to the governor of South, uh, of South Dakota, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is more death on the hands of the president. I can't think of anything worse than these people in that 18-wheeler suffocating I agree. Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, uh, you cannot believe what is happening. Dozens of stacked bodies found in a tractor trailer as illegals die horrifically in San Antonio, all because this administration won't crack down at the border and the word is out. If you come, you get in. Number two. Hey, pals, Dad. It's 815. Just want to talk to you. I thought the article... At least the thing on online is going to be printed tomorrow in the Times was good. I think it's clear. You believe this? That is the voicemail of Hunter Biden. That is the voice of Joe Biden. He is a liar. That's what President Biden has proven to be when it comes to the knowledge of Hunter Biden's business dealings. And in my opinion, uh, it's not my opinion, it's his own words. Number one, they will pass a federal ban on abortion. Do you believe that would happen, Michael? Yes, <laughs> without doubt or hesitation. Republicans care about life until the child is born. That is true. The latest on the abortion rights and bans and rhetoric heats up and places uh, begin to overheat into violence in the streets. Both sides playing politics with life and choice. And with that, let's bring in Christy Nome. She's a proud author of a, a brand new book out today called Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. Uh, Governor, you're in studio. <laughs> I'm not. And I'm jealous of that. I always love seeing you in person. Congratulations on the book. Oh, Brian, I got here, started looking for you and found out you weren't here. 
You know what? I don't. I thought if you knew ahead of time, you wouldn't publish the book <laughs> until true. tomorrow. That's true. So I just said, no, that's not fair to your publisher. Uh, uh, Governor, first off, just on what's going on, they stayed essentially all those trigger bans on abortion that would happen if Roe v. Wade was overturned. When it was, they did, and then the trigger was stayed. What's your reaction? You know, in South Dakota, we have a trigger law that was in our statute as well, and abortions are not happening in our state right now. Uh, and that that law actually says that the only case that an abortion would be allowed would be to save the life of a mother. So this is something that I'm proud of South Dakota for standing for life. Uh, as we look from state to state, you know, there's going to be different decisions made, and obviously now we're seeing court action as well. Um, it'll continue to be a conversation, but what the Supreme Court did was right a wrong decision that was made many years ago to make sure that this went back to the states to have be debated by those elected officials that are closer to the people. So I'm thankful for what the Supreme Court did. They're they're letting us do our jobs. Right. Um, do you feel as though politically this is going to play out against the Republican Party because this is a law that stood for all those years? It's something that President Trump feels as though could, in fact, be the case. Well, it's possible, but we as Republicans or those of us that are pro-life really need to get out there and start talking to people. Having this conversation about what we know about babies in the womb, uh, the science and the technology, what it's revealed to us about the situation, the fact that this life and this baby feels pain and how doctors treat these babies in the womb, do surgeries on them, call them patients, give them patients' rights, if that is... A patient that has rights, how is that not a human being then at that point in time? So those are all debates that we need to be having with people that are out there showing up to vote this fall. If it's on a ballot initiative, if it's going to be voting for other people that are out there running for office, uh, they need to make intelligent, informed decisions. And we're much more informed today than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago on the issue of abortion. I want you to hear what Michael Steele said. As you know, he was RNC chair when Mitt Romney was trying to be president, cut six. The House and the Senate, that they will pass a federal ban on abortion. Do you believe that would happen, Michael? Yes, <laughs> without doubt or hesitation. They'll set the marker, and if they have the House and the Senate, they will absolutely will they overturn will put... the filibuster to do it? Absolutely, because it's in their base's interest to do so. Absolutely, a national ban on abortion will be one of the first pieces of legislation, uh, probably next to uh, impeaching Joe Biden. So Michael Steele is not really a Republican uh, nope. anymore, if he ever was one. But Michael came out and said, is that the goal? I think that's what they'll try to do, definitely. I, I do think that while we have these conversations, we have to talk about who is the appropriate person, role of government, which government should be making this decision. Should it be at the federal level or at the state level? And and the Supreme Court obviously agrees it should be done at the state level. That's what we need to do and take the fear and the sensationalized rhetoric out of the conversation and really go back to what it is that the impact is that the Supreme Court has had on this country. So with you this don't decision. think that the, the agenda for the Republican Party would be a national abortion ban? It, it, the agenda is to leave it to the states? I, I believe it should be. Uh, that's why you've seen me out there talking about this so much the last several days since this decision came down, is that Republicans need to wise up, get smart. I don't believe the Republicans will come with a national ban. Uh, just because it does divide their base and it'll cause us to fail. And right more now than ever, our our country can't let Republicans fail. We literally are the only hope for preserving this republic that we have and that our founders gave us. 
So you came out, and you were a congresswoman, and you immediately made an impact. People noticed you, and then when the governor's slot opened, you did it, and you got it. Did you aspire, always have political aspirations like this? Did you say growing up, I'm going to run this state? No. No, I was, I would say I, I, we were not a political family at all. So my dad was a cowboy, uh, and we had a large ranch and farming operation. I was going to go to school, come back home, and be in business with him the rest of my life. It wasn't until he was killed in an accident, um, and we got hit with death taxes and almost lost our entire family business that that I got involved in government and politics. It made me angry. I was 22 years old, had a tragedy to happen to our family, and all of a sudden now I owed the federal government hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that I couldn't pay. Uh, so I just started showing up at meetings uh, and, and talking about tax reform, got very passionate about tax reforming reform, and uh, got involved. You know, my dad raised us kids saying, you don't complain about things, you fix them. And so I couldn't very well keep complaining. I needed to do something about it. So here's an excerpt from your book. It says this, growing up on a farm in South Dakota, there was always plenty that needed to be fixed. The same is true for our world. God gives us all different talents to work our own personal little corner of it. We ought to do so humbly. Our society is so hungry for that, but we shouldn't shy away from the debate. And we shouldn't settle for any easy out that leaves the job for someone else later. Now, I know you lived up to this because I watched you on the Sunday shows this past weekend. And you were pretty much attacked. No one goes after Republicans uh, like these Sunday shows. Mm -hmm. You knew you were going to be attacked, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not necessarily a friendly environment when you're on there with Martha and Margaret on ABC and CBS. But, you know, we have to be engaged in, you know, be in the arena uh, like Teddy Roosevelt talked about. You know, this is something that now more than ever, I'm shocked at how our country changed and how people just rolled over and gave up their freedoms. So that that really opened my eyes to how quickly things can change overnight um, and that we have to have a lot of good people who just show up. You know, most people would say, they think about me, they hear my name, they think I'm contentious, that I like to fight. I don't, Brian. I am. I tend to be an introvert. I want everybody to get along. But but I also know what's right and, and that you have to be make a difference and show up and get the job done. And I'm a decision maker. So we need more people like that across the country that on these important issues really do understand what's special about America. And when we come back, I do want to ask you about about 2024 and the chances of you maybe getting in the race. But also who else says, I want to get in the race. Why why do you keep asking me? Why don't you take yes for an answer? And that's Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. But before we do, what was it like growing up as Christy Noem? What was your life like? Oh, you know, I was a tomboy. I... uh, I was outside, loved animals all the time, wanted to be with my dad. So, I mean, I would say that, you know, I've spent my whole life in a man's world. You know, I drove trucks and chased cows and rodeoed. And then when I got to the legislature, I was one of the few women there, Congress as well, definitely in the minority. Then I was the first woman to get elected as governor of South Dakota. So my life was wonderful. I think America's curious about the American West right now. And I had a very special upbringing with my entire family. But I think all of that equipped me and gave me the value system that that has helped me make decisions throughout tough times, even in elected office. I I don't think COVID was easy, but it certainly wasn't my first rodeo either. The other difficult things I'd gone through in my life prepared me for whatever challenges were going to come our way in the state and in our country. I always walk away uh, of the pandemic era. Hopefully it's in our rearview mirror. 
of you and Governor DeSantis in particular saying, I trust my people to make the right decisions with the information I gave them. Why do you keep, why do you have a problem with that? Mm -hmm. And almost every Democratic state didn't. And they were looking out for us. And because of that, they fired people because they wouldn't take a vaccine. They prevented people from going to school. They prevented people from going to work. Uh, They told them to, uh, we'll pay you not to work. And we're still trying to work our way out of that. And South Dakota just does not have those problems. Mm-hmm. When we come back, um, we'll have more with Christine Ohm. Her book is now out as of uh, today. It is called Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. So you should go pick it up. When we come back, what does 2022 and 2024 look like for the Republican Party and for Christine Ohm specifically? I come to you from the Michael Murphy Navy SEAL Museum, which is about to open. And we're here for it. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Democrats are actually mad at themselves. They only have themselves to blame. I'm shocked that Joe Biden stepped foot on that plane to Europe without, quote, doing something, doing something. He took no executive action. He didn't go and join the protesters on the steps of the Supreme Court. He didn't even call legislative leaders to the White House, as far as we can tell. And you have to wonder, what is the issue that's going to make him get some energy, some vigor, and say, I am not leaving this desk, this Resolute desk, until you put something on it that's important for inflation or a rise in crime or baby formula or now abortion. 
And that's pretty much the story of Joe Biden. He's always reacting things. He's always very slow, whether it's the war in Ukraine, the ridiculous way, an embarrassing way. He left Afghanistan saying that inflation is transitory. Don't worry about it. Uh, blaming inadequate and inaccurately the Putin price hike for what's going on right now. And now oil and gas industry for not drilling enough for using their leases. It is all a smokescreen for the real story on so many issues that matter most. With me in studio is Governor Christy Nome, author of Not My First Rodeo. Uh, Governor, what's your take on this administration to this point as we get, we are now 140 days to the midterms? Well, I always say that Joe Biden's like the George Costanza of politics. Every single instinct he has is wrong. Uh, it's just incredible to me how he has completely made the wrong decision on every single issue. So the midterms can't come quick enough uh, to put some kind of a break on this agenda that they have. It's radical. It's leftist. Its uh, goal is to remake the United States of America. And the only chance we have to stop them is a very, very successful midterm election that wins back the House, has a chance at, at the Senate, and uh, really making sure this administration is crippled. So Joe Biden, evidently, just during the New York Times last night, was so elated that Bernie Sanders, he wouldn't run, who, by the way, is 82, <laughs> yeah, uh, would run. He invited him over to the White House to come for dinner. But every time he says he's going to run, no one's really embracing that. You have some Democratic friends. Why are they not embracing a, a president who wants to run for four more years? Well, they all realize just how flawed he is. And and how difficult it is for him to even do the basic necessities of his job. So, uh, you know, nobody's excited about him. He, I don't believe he'll be running. They just don't necessarily know who to wrap their arms around next. Um, it's not like Kamala's any better. She's worse, and anybody on their bench is so extreme. I don't know who unites the Democratic Party, and frankly, I'm okay if they keep um, talking the way that they do. They fight amongst themselves more than anything else, and that's going to keep them from being successful in 2024. Governor, a lot of people have pointed at you and said you uh, you have national potential and maybe aspirations that way. Have you thought about uh, running in 2024? And if you were, when would it start? Well, you know, people bring it up enough that you have to have thought about it. But my goal is to get reelected to be governor of South Dakota. I'm on the ballot this year. I'm hopeful that the people there will trust me. Yeah, to give uh, to lead for another four years. Our state's doing fantastic. Number one economy in the country. The fastest growing incomes in the country are in South Dakota. Our kids are number one leading the nation in educational outcomes. We just did what conservatives believe and it worked and our people are happier. So I'm focused on that. I think it's critical that we have leaders who do their job and understand uh, what their job is and lead by example. Quit talking about it. So there are a lot of people out there talking about running for president. I wish they'd just get up in the morning and get more work done. So in the theory that President Trump doesn't run, would you, would you run if he does run? Oh, I haven't even thought about that, Brian. Don't you think there's probably 48 other Republicans that want to run for president? <laughs> I, right. There's so many people talking about it. It just gets old. It's exhausting. So you know what? Show me what you've done. Uh, and know that you're going to be held accountable on every single decision you made, because we saw a lot of weak leaders in the Republican and Democrat Party during the last two to three years. And um, they have to be held accountable for the decisions they made. Fourth of July, you want to do a fireworks display since President Biden got the keys to the White House. He won't let you, will he, this year? No, uh, we're suing him over it, too. I want everybody to be very clear. People say, why do you talk about fireworks so much? It's not that big of a deal. Well, it is a big deal because... The president is violating federal law by 
denying us the opportunity to host this fireworks over Mount Rushmore and honor our freedom, honor these leaders. And to be, you know, tourism is our second largest industry in the state of South Dakota. So it's our one chance to really market our state and to really talk about how proud we are of the liberties that we have in this country. So it's a big deal for our economy, but it's also a big deal because we have a president that is knowingly breaking the law just to punish me and just to punish my state. You think so? What makes you think that? I know it for a fact. Uh, we've had these conversations with administration officials. There's a there's a Administrative Procedures Act that they have to allow us as long as we check the boxes on getting this permit, they have to give it to us. And we have checked all those boxes, met all the requirements. Instead, gotcha. they still deny it. Governor Christine Noem, go out and pick up her book. Uh, it is out as of today, Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. Governor, sorry I missed you in studio, but so glad you joined the show. Oh, next time. Anytime, Brian. You Absolutely. have a fantastic time up there. So proud you're there. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be here, too. Opening of the Navy Museum. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So uh, I'm here at the Michael Murphy Navy SEAL Museum. If you're saying, I never heard of it, don't blame yourself. It's opening up today. Actually, about an hour right here in Sayville, New York, but hopefully it'll be a destination around the country uh, and around the world. Uh, with me right now is Michael Sowers. He's retired Navy SEAL, CEO of Forged, and he started the Murph Challenge. Michael, great to see you. Great to be here. Thanks you navi- for me you on. navigated the skies, which is your first <laughs> challenge, right? Because you were able to come from California last night. Yeah, and that's no easy feat right now. Um, <laughs> like anybody trying to travel late now, I had a flight canceled and then booked on another flight. And then I think we stopped in like Kansas City. And then we're like, hold on, don't get off the plane. We're going to send this plane all the way to New York. So, yeah, a little bit of a rank and roll, but happy to be here. What a beautiful day it is today in New York. And See, for a Navy SEAL that's trained to be resourceful, even sometimes you're out of options when it comes to commercial flights. Oh, it's just crazy now. <laughs> and, and once we got to the hotel, it was so funny because I texted Marcus because he was supposed to be there Marcus already. The Marcus is like, I'm not even here yet. And then right. once those guys got to the airport, it took them like three hours to get to the hotel. So wow! It, but it was a good little reunion once we all got back. In the in the SEAL community, what does this mean today? I, I mean, it is amazing uh, just to see this come to fruition. Uh, when Dan first brought it up to his me, his dad, Dan Murphy, Dan Murphy brought it up to me a couple of years ago about his inspiration and his vision of what he was going to put here in Long Island. I. I won't say I thought he was a little crazy, but I was like, it, it was such a big feat. I mean, there's only one other in the country. Exactly. Um, it, you know, when, when Dan goes for something, you know, he goes large. So when he showed us the bl- blueprint and the layout and a virtual mock-up, I mean, it was amazing. Um, and, but, of course, yeah, we, we helped support the Michael P. Murphy Memorial Scholarship Foundation through the Murph Challenge, which we run. And he was like, well, Mike, we, uh, we need to sell a little more uh, T-shirts this year because we need to get some more money for this museum. But we were totally on board. Uh, I mean, for us, uh, you know, this is just the culmination of, for, for me, um, getting out of the teams and then creating a company and being able to give back and support our brothers and support the community, being able to be a small part of uh, growing this museum and raising right. funds to uh, I mean, anyone who comes to New York City to 
go see the 9-11 memorial and go you know, see the Statue of Liberty. I think you need to put this on your list as well. I mean, it's only about an hour outside the city, but you need to come out here and see it. It's I mean, great. it's a great little town, too. I don't know if you had a chance to see it because you got here last night. Uh, first off, your company, Forge. Tell me about it. Well, Forge, I, I started Forge actually um, – in 2007, I, I was deployed to Ramadi, Iraq. Uh, Marcus Luttrell, Morgan Luttrell, his brother, was in my platoon. And I, I, I didn't plan on starting a, a clothing company. I had 13 years in the Navy already. And I, honestly, I was going to stay in and retire. And, and our last deployment in, in Ramadi, uh, we got in a pretty catastrophic incident. Uh, some of the guys in our platoon uh, were, were injured very badly. And... When we got back stateside, uh, a couple of us just got together and we're like, hey, you know, let's make a T-shirt, uh, a tribute T-shirt uh, for one of our fallen guys, or, sorry, one of our injured guys, and we, we wanted to raise some money so he could get some specific medical care. So we just started selling shirts around the team, and it just started picking up steam and picking up steam, and then a couple of the guys, I think it was around Christmas time, were like, hey, you need to make more shirts. You need to make more shirts. So we were literally just slinging them out of the trunk of our car, and then it started growing and growing and growing. And it really got to the point where I had to make a decision. I either had to, uh, you know, chase this forged entrepreneur dream or I had to let it go. And at that point, I said, you know what, I'll give it two years. I'll get out of the military. I'll, I'll try it out. If I, if I can't make it work, I'll come crying back and knocking on the door, let me back in the teams. And fortunately enough, uh, it did work out. And just, you know, with, with, with every uh, – shirt that we sell. We donate a portion of the proceeds back to military nonprofit organizations. So just being... How are you doing now? You doing well? Yeah, 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 we're doing well. I mean, we deal with the same thing everybody's dealing with right now with supply chain issues and, and inflation. I mean, everything is tough. Um, just simple little things like just getting shirts and enough size runs and size colors and hats and the things that used to just come natural, used to just call your supplier or vendor and be able to get is, is, it's been tough, but no complaints out of me. I know you, you guys will, you'll find a way. Um, so we have a, a few more minutes with, uh, with Michael Sowers. Now let's talk about the Murph challenge. It's basically like cross training. He Murph was an incredible athlete, an unbelievable shape. How does the Murph Challenge help keep his memory alive and build places like this? The, the amazing part of it is I, I like to tell people, you know, and it's like, hey, I did the Murph on Memorial Day or, or what is the Murph? And it, you get a lot of people out there that just try to run it for the time. But the most important thing is you got to remember uh, the Murph Challenge is more than just a workout. The Murph Challenge is a tradition that helps push us, humbles us, and allows us the ability to dedicate a little bit of pain and sweat in honor of Lieutenant Michael Murphy and all the brave men and women uh, that really that paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. So what you would do is get sponsors for you to do it, and is that how you raise the money? So if I wanted to do it, I'd get people to sponsor uh, me to do this? Uh, no, actually, it's, it's very easy. The easiest way to do it is just to go to the MurphChallenge.com. And its registration is still open. We run it until the end of July. So you can go to the MurphChallenge.com. You can register on there, and you sign up. And oh, so when I pay the fee, that's my donation. Yep, you, you pay oh, okay. the fee. That's your donation. If you do have a gym or organization, you can also sign up as an official host. So if you sign up as an official host, you get a banner and a flag, oh, and your awesome. organization is listed 
on the Murph Challenge uh, website. And that way, if you want to host an event, say if you want to do it on Memorial Day, 4th of July, Operation Red Wing Memorial, like today. Which was the name of the operation of the unit they were in. Exactly. When it went down. Uh, One mile run. One mile run. 100 pull-ups. Exactly. Has to be in a row? No. no, (laughs) You can do it in a row, I can tell. If you you want to, if you really – see, the great thing about the merch challenge is – I don't know anyone that can do 100 straight pull-ups. Do you know know a lot of people that can do that? There's not a lot, especially if you do it strict with a 20-pound vest. Uh, Nearly impossible. Maybe Dave Goggins could pull it off, but (laughs) there's not many guys on the planet that could do that. 300 squats? Yep, 200 push-ups. 200 push-ups. 200 push-ups. Okay, all right. So that's important. So would you talk about the, the armored run, too? Is that part of this? Yeah, and, and I like to Because he used to run with full equipment. Yeah, and, and obviously when you have Navy SEALs and professional athletes doing it, um, it can be a little intimidating for your average person. So what we like to tell them is, you know, don't worry about doing it with the vest. If it's your first year you do it, all right? Just, get it done. Just get it done. And if you go to the MurfChallenge.com, we have a, a training workout program on there. I don't expect your average person to just sign up and be able to knock it out the next day. So we have a specific training program on there. It, it, people from every fitness level, there's scaled options right. on there as well. Michael Sowers is with us, former Navy SEAL, who's helped put the, uh, the Murphy uh, SEAL Museum together, which opens up uh, shortly. Why did you join? I, for, for me, really, um, I grew up in a small town in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I, I was an athlete in high school. Good athlete? I, what I was, did you play? I, 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 played, I, I wrestled and played football. I was, I was all state my senior year in wrestling. Um, I had in, some, Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania? That is a mecca. Uh, I had some scholarships uh, to go to college and wrestle, but with me, I, I just really wasn't into school anymore. <laughs> I was more into you know, living an adventurous life and um, wh- one of my brother's buddies actually went to Bud's, and he came home for Christmas break. I think I was about 15 years old, and he was at our house, and he was telling me, oh, I'm, I'm in this Bud's training. I said, what's that? He's like, Navy SEALs. I said, like that movie with Charlie Sheen? He's like, yeah, exactly like that. I said, man, what's it like? He's like, man, we're, we're kind of like a wrestling team, but we run around with machine guns, and, and we blow stuff up. And <laughs> I was like, wow, you know, that sounds really cool. And I had a couple uncles in my family that were in Vietnam, so it had a lot of uh, military background in my family. Uh, but uh, after really researching, and, I mean, you're talking like early 90s then, too. There was no Internet. I think I had one VCR tape. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like the elite option or something like that. Um, but I watched it, and I was sold. I was skydive and scuba dive, blow stuff up, shoot guns. And like I said, I was from a small town in Pennsylvania. And I was like, well, where do I got to go to do this? They're like, well, you go to Coronado, California. I was like, sign me up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get there fast enough. But when you did it, did you say, what was I thinking? Because it does seem so tough. If you watch the beginning of Lone Survivor, you get a real clue of what it's like. Oh, yeah. Did you ever think to yourself, I'm not going to make this? Oh, yeah, the first day. You know? yeah. <laughs> like I said, I was an all-state wrestler from Pennsylvania as well, too. So, And I like to tell people, I was an instructor for a long time as well. So I worked on the recruiting side of the house. And I would like to tell the kids sometimes, like, it's intimidating. It doesn't. I mean, we had professional athletes in our class. You had guys who played in the NFL, guys who yeah. were, you know, major league make baseball it. players. Some of them made it, and some of them did it. It's it's so hard that you have to be so committed. It's got to be the the only reason you 
like your reason for being there has to be the right reason. If you're just like, hey, this guy's like, yeah, you know, I'll try it out. I want to challenge you in my life. You're not going to last long. It really takes that commitment. It doesn't matter how good of a natural athlete you are. Mm -hmm. You are pushed to your limits. And I mean every single day. And that's really um, what makes the SEAL Brotherhood what it is. It's going, you know, through all of those arduous situations and evolutions with the guys next to you. It's it, you can't really compare that to any other job. Afghanistan and Iraq. Yes, both. Um, what do you think about how we left uh, Afghanistan? Well, I, I mean, honestly, it, it's it's tough for for a lot of guys. I, I mean, even before that, I was in the Battle of Ramadi. Uh, Marcus and Morgan were in there as well. Uh, I mean, even when we first pulled out of Ramadi. And, you know, we saw, you know, that get retaken again. And then, you know, as we left Afghanistan. You, well, you, then they went back and took it back. Right? Is, is, exactly. That was pretty hard for us. Is we did lose a lot of guys in Ramadi. Um, and, and really when we pulled out of Afghanistan, just the way it went down, just not being organized. You know, we, we are the greatest superpower in the world. And you fought brilliantly. You adapted to the battlefield. You, you learned the skills. You got the equipment. This should be a success story. It, exactly. Exactly. So, and I, I hope people view it that way. You can't control who the leader is. You can you control, control the fights you're, you're allowed to do. It, it, exactly. And, you know, I think the real success story was you know, the actual veterans and even the, the so they got everybody out that got everybody together and and used that network you right. know and and i, I think that that's what really that showed who america is that I showed agree. who america is we're not you know what if we can't rely on the government to do it guess what we're going to get our own people together and we're going to make this situation happen and we're going to get our friends out of there. The people that fought beside us and helped us out, we're not yeah. going to leave them over there. We're going to go get them. Great to meet you. So glad you did what you do and you continue to k- k- give back to the country and this community. Uh, it's going to be an exciting day and you made Very it exciting. and the, the gods were on your side, uh, the <laughs> flying gods. Uh, because one of the big stories today was all the cancellation flights. I think it hit a new time high. Uh, Mike Sowers, uh, retired Navy SEAL, CEO of Forged who started the Murph Challenge, go sign up for it today, and your admission fee gives, it becomes the donation. Uh, Chris Wiley's next, executive director of the Murphy Museum. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Had a chance to talk to Governor Christine Noem. So glad she was nice of her to be in studio. We're in uh, West Sayville, New York, on Long Island. Uh, WRCN listeners understand that. We're very close to them. Uh, but we're on a national story because uh, only for the second time in this country, we have a Navy SEAL Museum. It's named after Michael Murphy, uh, a man that is the executive director of the Michael Murphy Navy SEAL Museum is with me right now, a uh, former Navy SEAL himself. Uh, Chris Wiley. Chris, welcome. Oh, thank you, Brian. Thanks for being on television with us today. <laughs> that was a very, very unique experience. Well, yeah, you were natural for it. You're somebody here who has been here every step of the way. Uh-huh. 5,000 square feet. It costs millions of dollars to put together. Your feeling when the opening is just moments away. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, at the same time, uh, I don't think it's set in yet. You know, we've been working, you know, the whole board and the staff here has been working diligently to get the uh, to get to this moment. And uh, so right now, hopefully later this afternoon, it'll actually sink in and I'll be able to 
you know, breathe and enjoy it. But I'm just so happy that we got here. On One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, we're going to have the tour that you gave me of this museum. But um, what was your hope starting Monday? How many people do you expect to come through those doors? What do you hope they get out of it? Well, I I just hope they get a full understanding of uh, the commitment, the sacrifice that, you know, the Naval Special Warfare community uh, gives every day. And, you know, the education that this building is going to give them and provide them and provide the community, um, you know, it's, it's something that I look forward to experiencing when I can see the young kids come, old, older people, everybody come in and see this because every time I've put a, a few family members or, or people through it, they're either in tears or astonished with the breadth of what SEALs and UDTs and, and the SWIC people have performed and done why is there only two i mean does it surprise you there's only two navy seal museums i mean you have only you told me there's only eighteen thousand in the history of our country to become navy seals that that is correct from 1942 to present day that's a you know around rounded it off number of about eighteen thousand people but um i believe that it, it just there wasn't an education or there wasn't a lot of talk about seals in the past you know it, it now became people writing books. There's a lot more media coverage. There's a lot more interest. Since in the, the Bin Laden raid, too. Yes, yeah. So, so since all of this, I, I believe uh, the demand or the, the interest has been there for the need to have more museums and more uh, education on the SEAL program. We need more SEALs. You know, it's an elite group. You, you're not going to just be able to replenish, you know, a, a SEAL community if we have a, another Operation Red Wings or Extortion 17 where you have a, a great loss of lives. And this was built off Operation Red Wings. Lone Survivor was the movie and the book, but Michael Murphy was on that unit and famously stood with a satellite phone that would reveal his location. He had to go to a high point to get a signal out to try to get his guys out. And to do that, he had to call back to base. Mm-hmm. And he, when he exposed himself, it cost him his life. That, that's correct. He... he gave the ultimate sacrifice trying to save his men um and you know he he's his story there there are a few other stories here with medal of honor recipients that are you know from the different eras of the of of seals from vietnam forward um and all of their stories are absolutely phenomenal but michael's just resonates in the community and the hearts of the you know just people in general it's just one of those um Stories that everybody remembers, and, and the movie was made out of it, so it made it much easier, uh, you know, for the word to get out on his heroic, you know, uh, feat. If people want to give, because this is really driven by private donations. That's correct. Where do you go? You can go to the Murphy Navy Seal org, and you can donate there. Uh, you can call. We, we will mm. uh, facilitate yeah. <laughs> getting donations. And we're also looking uh, for people that if you had a, uh, a SEAL or a UDT member in your family, we're also looking for photographs from back in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. Right. So we're still trying to gather photographs uh, of people that, we, you know, they don't have it in the archive. So. Very uh, fascinating. And you also have a cadet program. Right? That's correct. It's the Michael Murphy uh, Sea uh, Cadet Program. Fantastic. All right. Uh, Go out and help uh, uh, Chris Wiley out. He's the executive director of the Michael Murphy Navy SEAL Museum. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade coming to you from Wetzayville, Long Island in New York. Normally at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but on the road for a great reason. The opening of Lieutenant Michael P. Murphy's Navy SEAL Museum. Today is the day. Uh, soon, it's no longer going to be something on paper that you get exclusive tours for, special passes to. It's going to be open to the public uh, starting in about an hour. The ceremony will be about 90 minutes. And, of course, in New York, there's also a primary day. So people are going to be picking a Republican and Democrat, uh, depending on the party of year in to run in November. And of course, when it comes to the governor's race, that's a real big deal this year because his sense, and I think it's a good sense, the Republicans have a real shot right now. Obviously, Lee Zeldin looks as though uh, he is in the driver's seat. Uh, Andrew uh, Giuliani also there. Rob Astorino, very well respected in the area. And Harry Wilson, a big time businessman. But now let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is more death on the hands of the president. I can't think of anything worse than these people in that 18-wheeler suffocating. To death. Can't go on. It can't continue. Dozens of dozens of stacks of bodies found in a tractor trailer as illegals die horrifically in San Antonio, all because this administration won't crack down on the border and the word is out. If you come, you'll get in. Number two. Hey, pals, Dad. It's 815. Just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, is going to be printed tomorrow in the Times. was good. I think you're clear. Really? Joe Biden is a liar. That's what President Biden has proven to us with the voicemail that was on that laptop from hell, downloaded from You Got It, Hunter Biden's laptop and his phone, his iPhone, shows he had full knowledge of Hunter's business dealings. That was, of course, something he denied. Uh, It's not my opinion. It's now his own words. Number one, they will pass a federal ban on abortion. Do you believe that would happen, Michael? Yes, <laughs> without doubt or hesitation. Republicans care about life until the child is born. Right. Uh, there it is. The latest on abortion rights and bans and the rhetoric heating up and in places overheats to violence. Both sides are playing politics with life and choice. But the other bigger story that I believe resonates more with the American public is what's happening with uh, oil and gas. Because wherever you go, it affects your life. Vacations canceled, cars not bought, or cars not used. It's over $5 a gallon. It blows up. Anybody living paycheck to paycheck is now uh, altering their life. And guess who decides to vilify the oil and gas industry and blame them? The president of the United States. And that, to me, is unacceptable, and it's inaccurate. You know, I have this series called What Made America Great. One of the specials that comes out on Thursday is on the history of oil and gas in this country. And the guy who helped me out significantly and gave me great knowledge of a business I did not know the mechanics of is with me now. He is Jeff Gorski, chairman of uh, Artemis Production Solutions, uh, and he's president of Avi Site Inc. Uh, Jeff, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey, Jeff, first off, what was your reaction when the president of the United States came out and said, well, I'm sorry I hurt their feelings when he made comments that you guys are basically using windfall profits instead of making sure that we you pump more and got the price of oil and gas down? Well, before I jump into that, once again, I just wanted to thank you for all the support you've given the Oilfield Energy Center and highlighting it at the upcoming presentation on Fox Nation. 
We enjoyed spending the time with the Fox crew here in Houston, and then subsequently the little tour that you and I did on the Ocean Star in Galveston. So really looking forward to that program. Yeah, on Thursday um, it's going to be out. We're going to be showing highlights uh, all week, uh, all for the next couple of weeks. But, Jeff, I didn't really – listen, I grew up in New York on Long Island. I didn't know much about the oil and gas industry, but I'm, I have enough humility to know, ask questions. I'm amazed if people don't know anything about your job that are telling you how bad you're doing. Yeah, I think uh, you and I talked about that while we were touring the rig. I was uh, quite impressed with your insight, however, so don't you know, sell yourself short in terms of knowing what we're dealing with and uh, knowing the technology that actually gets us there. Uh, but specifically back to the point that you made, I think one of the biggest things that the current administration can do is really tone down the rhetoric in terms of the divisiveness of the oil and gas uh, production in the U.S., you know, what we really need is we need some cheerleaders out there. And I'm talking about, you know, our other lawmakers as well, that we need to be encouraging capital investment in the oil and gas business today domestically. And really, let's knock down the rhetoric. Let's start telling the truth about our industry, about the things we do in terms of producing reliable, safe energy that drives this com- country forward. It doesn't work for radio because it's too low, but there was uh, captured audio of the President Macron telling Joe Biden that the Middle East is essentially producing all it can. MBS told Macron, I can maybe get you another 100,000 barrels, but not much. We're basically hitting the max. Go and print, uh, you know, hey, Joe, pump yourself. Uh, uh, Pump your own oil. That's the best way to do it. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I I agree. At the end of the day, uh, President Biden, isn't he, wasn't he born in Pennsylvania? I mean, right now in Pennsylvania and parts of uh, West Virginia, we have one of the most prolific basins in the lower 48 called the Marcellus. So he doesn't have to get on a plane, fly to Riyadh and talk to the Saudis and OPEC and ask for production. Why don't you just go to your home state understand what the good people of Pennsylvania are doing and trying to bring secure supply of oil and gas to this country. So quite frankly, uh, the way I see it, it's really a national security issue where we are. And if Putin's war against Ukraine doesn't make that stand out with regard to the importance of our national security by having our own supply I don't get it. I don't know where everybody's missing in terms of understanding why we shouldn't be doing everything possible to move U.S. oil and gas production forward. So, so Jeff, not only do you need truly to talk to Jeff Gorski, uh, if I want to get to the bottom of oil and gas, he's a one-stop shopping to do it. So it's easy. It's not as easy as just saying refine more. You have to get a commitment to get investment of about five years, right? So if you just tell people for five years I'll have this type of commitment, you'll be able to get the investment if you stop discouraging the investment in your business. Why is it that we have so few refineries right now? Well, I mean, basically we're to the point where we need an infrastructure bill focused on not only retooling the current refineries but opening more. At the end of the day, you hit it on the head. 
you know, the uh, producers of oil and gas here in the U.S. can find more supply. We can drill more rigs, use more rigs, drilling more wells, getting more supply. But first of all, you got to get that supply from the field to the refineries. What's the bottleneck? Pipelines. So we need more infrastructure pipelines to get that production to the refineries, ultimately to where we can lower the cost of overall value to the consumer. The way I understand it, the Russians not having their oil in the world market is not affecting the price. There's no difference in the amount of oil available. So if that is in fact correct, what is affecting the price right now? Well, it's a little bit of everything. It's basically the insecurity of the supply. I mean, it's a commodity that's traded on the world market, right? So we talked about this a little bit. What's the current geopolitical market? And if we're not self-sufficient here in the U.S., then we're going to be affected by those winds that blow across the world with regard to global supply. Additionally to that, Brian, the need for energy around the world is not slowing. It's growing. And there's a lot of smarter people than me looking at the world energy needs out in 2050, that could increase as much as 45% of what we do today. So, yes, we not only need oil and gas, we need renewables, we need nuclear, we need uh, hydrogen, we need uh, every type of source going forward because are we supposed to allow the um, developing nations of the world not to continue to grow and prosper and get the same standard of but, living that we have But, Jeff, you understand that the president has a different idea. He's, tell, he's bragging about Angola getting his solar panels, and he's talking about not chopping up the grain used for renewables because we need it for food. Boris Johnson says we need it for food. He goes, no, we need it for renewable energy. I mean, to me, he's a guy who's detached from reality that you seem to be ingrained in. What did it tell you? When he decided to meet with the wind people rather than walk one mile down and meet with the oil executives last week. Well, once again, I talked about this, the rhetoric that just comes out of the beltway with regard to the evil empire that is considered the oil and gas industry. You know, here's the good news, Brian. We took our country's production down to a importer to a next to a net exporter. So it's not something that I can sit here and tell you and your and your listening group that, hey, trust me, we can do this. We've done that. We've already showed that. All the innovation that's in our industry, everything that has been developed in these unconventional resources, we're there. Not to mention North America, along with Central and South America, there's enough natural gas for hundreds of years. So at the end of the day, we have all the resources we need, not only to our neighbors to the north and the neighbors to the south. And gotcha. the continuous 48 and, of course, Alaska. But this is what bothers me is the people who right now are in charge have this view. For example, climate czar John Kerry. Listen to this. Energy security worry is driving a lot of the thoughts now about, oh, we need more drilling of gas. We need more drilling of this. We need to go back to coal. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. And we have to prevent a false narrative from entering into this or, again, uh, pun intended, we are cooked. 
Is he right? I, I, I've never met Mr. Kerry. Um, I, I don't know what he really thinks. But at the end of the day, I'm taking you to a solution that is proven. The things that he talks about, everybody talking about the new green economy, this is trust us or this will happen. I'm telling you about something that is proven. The one thing this industry is, is innovative and resilient. And you have to be when you're dealing with an industry that depends on a globally traded commodity. So we know how to do it. So if we could get a little bit of help from the current administration, streamlining regulatory, provide a predictable market to operate, which will allow people to invest, remove the hurdles today of pipeline projects, and allow the abundancy of our natural gas supplies to reach to Americas. If you really want to talk about green fuels, it gets pretty, pretty climate focused by using natural gas. And if anybody doubts that, look at the switching of power plants to natural gas since 2005 and its positive impact of reducing greenhouse gases. So we have the natural gas, we have the technology, let's get it delivered to consumers and quit talking about these things that ultimately we believe will happen However, I do agree we need to continue to look at those technologies right. and development. But once again, I'm telling you about a proven track record that we have done. It is under our feet here in the U.S. And once again, we can become a dominant global producer of oil and gas, which, first of all, in my mind, is the number one objective for our government is national security. Absolutely. Jeff Gorski, he's an oil and gas expert, spent his entire career there. Now he's chairman of Artemis Production Solutions. You could see him on the history of oil and gas in America on our brand new edition in our brand new series, What Made America Great. We have a brand new season, I should say. Uh, Jeff Gorski, thanks so much. Listen, uh, when the iPhone was better than the, the BlackBerry, we left the BlackBerry. But until there was an iPhone, no one was leaving their BlackBerry. So if they have oil and gas that's ready, an electric car is more efficient, Americans will move to what works better, which is cheaper and more effective. Right now, we have no alternative, whether you like it or not. Jeff, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Great talking to you again. Same here. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're at the Michael Murphy uh, Navy SEAL Museum. It's about to open up for the first time. We're excited to be here. Guess who's coming up at the bottom of the hour? Taylor Klitsch, uh, Kitsch, who plays, he's the actor who played Michael Murphy on Lone Survivor, and Marcus Luttrell, who was the Lone Survivor. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It again just puts the lie to Joe Biden's repeated insistence that he knew nothing about Hunter's overseas business dealings. In fact, he was intimately involved. And you hear with his own voice where he says to his son about this New York Times story, you know, I think you're clear as in you're out of trouble 
this is, um, you know, at least evidence of some sort of guilty knowledge. And um, what it shows is that they were in trouble because the New York Times had come very close to the story about the, the whole Biden family, Hunter, Joe and his brother, uh, Uncle Jim Biden, their involvement with this Chinese energy company. Miranda Devine, is must, her head might be ready to explode because she had this story, put it in columns, then put it in a book, Laptop from Hell. On some level, she might have been amazed no one took it from her. They told the New York Post the laptop was not real. Fifty uh, intelligence experts, uh, CIA directors all said it's a fake. Then two years later, they admit it's not. The laptop is real. He even rolls out a book tour that is so in your face for Hunter Biden. And now we find out on that laptop was even a voicemail from his dad talking about a Chinese deal that he was doing with this Forbes 40, most richest people under 40 in the world, a Chinese businessman who disappeared. His partner, Devin Archer, is arrested. And they wonder if he's trading on the family name. And here is the president of the United States telling his son, don't worry about it. Hey, pals, Dad. It's 8.15 um, on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Not, nothing urgent. just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, is going to be printed tomorrow in time. It's good. I think it's clear. And uh, Anyway, um, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. Yeah, not urgent. Just the Washington Post about to expose the family's international business dealings, trading on the family name, using their country and their power to get the deals done. Not a big deal. Call me when you can. Brian Kilmeade, Marcus Luttrell, and the man who played Michael Murphy in Lone Survivor. Join me live at the Navy SEAL Museum where I'm at. It's about to open in about an hour. Taylor Kitsch, Marcus Luttrell next. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Never out of the fight. Welcome back, everyone. We're at the Navy SEAL Museum opening. It's the Michael Murphy Navy, Navy uh, Museum, SEAL Museum, and it's only the second one in this country. It's 5,000 square feet uh, over my right shoulder. They're going to have the opening ceremonies, cut the ribbons, and it'll be official. Open to the public in West Sayville, Long Island. Now it's another reason, another place to stop before you get to the Hamptons or Montauk. And no one has to tell that to Taylor Kitsch, actor and who played Lieutenant Michael Murphy in Lone Survivor, or Marcus Luttrell, who came all the way from another state to a place he didn't know existed, Long Island. Uh, the retired Navy SEAL, served in Afghanistan, author of Lone Survivor, multiple bestsellers. Welcome, guys. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Now, I'm going to ask for some cooperation. You have to work. Well, I gave you one microphone. You did. And you and Taylor have to get along for just this moment on the radio, okay? No you didn't say anything. That's right. He didn't say anything about that. He was just talking about the microphone. But you have to share it. I, that's what you brought in. I know, right? right? It's like, this is Brian Kilmeade. Uh, He'll have two microphones. All right. So. Take the microphone away from an actor. So that's, that's 
we're How do you feel about that, Taylor? Exactly. Not great. My <laughs> ego is actually hurting quite a bit. We're going to have to remedy that. So In the introduction, he said something about another state. It's Texas. It has a name. Right. A great state. But yeah, I didn't know if you That's picked up. That's the only part a, I caught. Uh, if, I don't How do you know. feel about that, Taylor? Uh, I agree. <laughs> I've lost total control of this interview, and he's bigger than me, and That's I really don't know how to get it back. He handed me the microphone. I know. But, uh, so, Taylor, what do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, you have your own podcast, too, or I was on it with your brother Morgan. I, I appreciate that. You're our, our one and only guest, man. It was great. Was I your only guest? Are you kidding? <laughs> we were shut down. You were all we needed. But your twin brother is, is on the precipice of going to Congress. He won the nomination. Huge feel, too, by the you way. You believe that? Yeah. So we t- it's Kevin Brady's seat. He's retired. Yes, sir. So, and you're both mentored by another great politician, uh, Governor Rick Perry. Yes, sir. So who's also Secretary of Energy on with me yesterday and gives his regards. Great man. Great man. So uh, I talked to you on television show a while ago. We have a little bit more time now. Uh, first off, Taylor played Michael. How did he do? Great. I actually, I don't know if we've made this public or not, but when it came time to picking the actors for, for the parts, I actually had a say in that, uh, except for the one who was to play me. I didn't have any say in that. I didn't get a chance. Because <laughs> Mark th- Wahlberg? My thought was is if, if I pick somebody to play me, it better be, be able to walk like Denzel, better <laughs> fight like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, right. And then, uh, <laughs> and my friends know me. I mean, what? When, you, when someone says, hey, uh, if you were going to be in a movie, you would know who you want to play you immediately. But if it's real, they're like, no, I need you to really pick somebody. Then you put some thought into it. So it came, Pete and I were talking. I was like, man, you, you, you pick who plays me because I, uh, if I did that, I don't think it would ju- do it justice. But when it came time to pick and Mike and Axe, that, that was on – I had a big handle in that, and he was, the, he was the choice. Right, absolutely. Mark Wahlberg playing you. What do you think? You've known in a way I don't know him, and Taylor, you're probably friends with him. What was he like doing a part like that? He, I heard he likes to get to learn what it takes to be that person, whether it's a fighter or – Oh, they whatever. all did. They, they, they took this serious. I mean, once, once they got in and they realized there wasn't any getting out of it, then it was, uh, it was serious business. Um, with Mark, he's great. I mean, we have a, a fantastic relationship. I say he's the city version of me, and, and it was when we first met up. I didn't get a chance to meet him right away. Taylor and I actually were together a long time, and, right. and, and a few of the guys, I mean, every single day. And then uh, when Mark came into the picture, we kind of encircled up the wagons, brought him in. Everyone right. started training again, and it, it truly made for a, a family environment. Well, they're, they're part of us now. Right. We didn't cut them any slack. I mean, they had to go through the ringers, and because of that, they earned the respect and the place among us, and then finishing the mission, now they're family. Taylor, you got a movie coming out on Friday, right? Yeah, a show on Amazon. And a show on Amazon. So, yeah. I mean, you could be anywhere. I mean, why was it important for you to be here today? Um, I mean, I've been lucky to do a lot of jobs, play a lot of real-life guys, but this one, this experience has given me back more than anything I've done in, what in way? my career. Well, Marcus sitting right here, he's a brother of mine. The whole community, like he said, I think the most flattering thing, especially when you have a responsibility like this, you serve that story and these guys, it's to have them thank you and to have Dan and Maureen and John Murphy be there for you and thank you for that is honestly everything. That's why you get to, you know, take swings like this and be a part of this and, um, this is a torch I'm more than happy to carry and, and be a part of these, these guys' lives. And I mean, I, the whole community to be taken in by those guys is, is it's a pretty fascinating family. And, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, on a day like today, 
on so many levels. It's it's heavy, and, and, and you carry that, and you feel that, and there's a lot of love out here. But we're also laughing, catching up, and there is a yeah. true, like, at ease. Yeah. I mean, within 10 seconds of seeing each other again, it's like we're just in it again, and that's the beauty of it. Right, and the thing was so cool that, Marcus, you stayed in it. You didn't play yourself, but you stayed in the movie, so you were on the set, so you're training these guys, and you felt it. But was it traumatic going through it again? I mean, I was traumatized. I didn't live through it. I'm watching that, and I know how it ends, and I'm still affected by it. How about you was, seeing it on the screen? That's a great question. That's a great question. And it, it, it was almost intense therapy because I had to break down every piece of it. And they would ask me questions that I hadn't thought about, like, why were you doing this and this, and what was, what was he doing with this? And I was like, man, I hadn't thought about that. And when he says we're family now, that's right, because we're together on the holidays. And I'll call him if I have a problem. Like, man, you ain't going to believe what I got to go. I mean, that kind of that's how you know that you created that bond. And we did that on the set, mainly because the roller coaster ride they had to go over with the emotions and the death. I mean, we, they, we, we pulled them right into that. I was on set when there was a bunch of SEALs on set. And then they'd have to deal with the family members and then the people on the outside, because everyone in America has something to do with getting me off that mountain and pulling the guys back. You just did. That's why I carry myself the way I do at all times because I'm going to run into somebody who had something to do with bringing me back. Not only that, when it came to them, I was like, every time someone types in our name, your face is going to come up. <laughs> it, this is who yeah. you are. You're just doing other stuff now. You're on a movie. That's, that's fine. Right. But I always reel them back in. Like, if I see them out there, they pop in my head, I'll call them up, keep them in check. That's my right. job. Are you worried about him becoming too successful? I'm proud Marcus of him for that, right? Uh, are you worried about I'm him like, becoming I want him to become real, real successful and try to ignore me a little bit, then I'll reach in there. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's not going to right? <laughs> right. You're going to have to talk to my scheduler, that right. kind of thing, uh, right? But it, it, it worked out so well in a dynamic because we had them before filming, during, and after, and then we perpetuated it by staying in touch. And our families, everyone was starting something new, it felt like. So it kind of, everyone grew together in, in that mold. And um, because of it, we're, but, well, life's better. Now, tell, did, did you tell Marcus you're Canadian? Or are you afraid of him? <laughs> no. It is truly <laughs> the spirit of these guys, obviously. Um, but I, I want to go back to the family yeah. thing. And, um, you know, I went through a really intense uh, family experience and, Quite literally, he is top three that I'll call. And I think we all have maybe, if we're lucky enough to have three people in our life that you can lean on that are unquestionably there. And um, it was a moment that you'll never forget. And you call him, and he's quite literally just is like, get to the ranch. Let's go. You know, this is, this is just, it's not even a question. And no matter what he's dealing with, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I didn't know at the time or whatever, you know, it's just open door. And, um, I think that's just, you just never forget those moments. And that's how that is so cultivated that, that relationship and forged, you know, it's just, there isn't a question about it. Taylor Kitchens with his famous actor who played Michael Murphy in the movie. And then Marcus Luttrell, who they based the movie off his book, Lone Survivor, Marcus, and one thing that's pretty clear, I've had a chance to, to meet you since the book came out uh, those years ago. You have physically had to rehab a lot. You would just disappear for a few months, right, to work on your back. How are you doing now physically? Uh, well, it's become a routine. So it's, uh, I still have to do that. I, I still have to go down and live in the, the, the 
hospital for a few weeks, few months to, to get my body right for the year. And um, I've just accepted it. Like a lot of people fight some of the things that happen to them. And then so you'll always be fighting it. And I accepted kind of like w- what my routine had to be. And because of it, uh, I've dialed it in. I hold to it. If any part of my day throws me off of my routine and pulls me out of it, right. I have enough to get through that. And then I'll push myself back into where I need to be to, to keep going. And um, just like Taylor said, it's, it's uh, when you go through life's experiences, it teaches you good or bad. You take something from it. Usually a design that's going to help somebody else when they call. So in any given moment, if I'm having a day, I'll call him up. And whatever he tells me is the answer, even if he doesn't know it, to what I, need, I needed to hear it. That's how the good Lord works, right? Right. And so when, when you have people like that in your life, and we threw them into the deep end. I pulled them straight in the fire. I mean, I didn't give them any slack at all. I'm like, hey, bro, boom, here we go. And then I don't ever let you go. I mean, I won't ever yeah. let you go. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with me. <laughs> right. That's loyalty to stick to in this. It's not you. It's right. me. I say the same thing. <laughs> so, so, Taylor, you, you know, where you grew up in Canada, you live in Montana, and you lived in Austin. Will we, will we need to sit? Oh, yeah, we need years. people to come by this museum, this Lieutenant uh, Michael Murphy Navy SEAL Museum. Can you tell people why it's important to put it on the, the, the Cooperstown for SEALs, the Canton it really, for SEALs? It really is. And it's, it's funny, as much as I think I knew, even about the SEAL community and what they go through and being with these guys and, and clocking in with them and being a part of that community now, right. it's just very humbling. And it's, it's done beautifully as well. Um, and there's just, you know, this is day one, and there's already an incredible energy here. I know. It really is. about 1,000 people I mean, right I'm looking shoulder. at Dan Murphy over there through the window, the families. And the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but give it an hour. The other thing is, I want you both to answer this. There's a difference now since, the, uh, since 9-11. Navy SEALs are no longer anonymous. You don't have to be a member in the Navy. Now, between Zero Dark Thirty, uh, the, the, the takedown of Bin Laden in real life, the movie that followed, your story, people know in Navy SEALs. I understand in the community there's a little bit of a disagreement if the fame's good or not. How do you feel about the, everyone knowing about the SEALs? Sure. You definitely got, y'all made it hard for us to do undercover work. <laughs> right. I was brought up that way, too. Quiet professional. If you boys are in, keep your mouth shut. We made it hard for you. So suck it up. I don't care, new guy. That's what I tell my operators. Yeah, we, 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 life's tough for us. But um, there, there's, two, there's two parts of that. Obviously, the old warriors telling their stories is what brings the new warriors to the table. So you have to have that. It's been around since, since warriors started fighting. Okay. Right? Um, the clandestine operations. No matter what you think you know about our community, you don't know nothing. You only know what we let you see. And for the reason why you come visit this museum, I'll tell you, because I've already hid things here in this museum that lead to treasures. There are little hidden Easter eggs and gems throughout this museum that if you know what you're looking at, we'll send you on a, on a journey and on an adventure to find bigger and Are you things. finding this out for the first and time, Taylor? We did that on purpose. Oh. We did that. On, there's, don't, SEALs are notorious for that. And there's so many things in here that are hidden for the general public to find, to find other things. I'll okay. give you that little bit. And then I'll leave you at that. But that's one of the reasons you want to come up here, not only just to see this wonderful town and the people in it, but, uh, but what the, our kind of uh, our fraternity created. Wow. The other, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I just literally met the guy who put the age back in here. And his brother, he lost his brother in Iraq in 05. And it's like, it's just this community and these people, 
it's a special spot, man. And it's, it's, it really is. And it, today's just a day to celebrate, uh, memorialize, and, and, and be together, you know? Right. Uh, Taylor Kitch is here. Marcus Luttrell are here. 100% true. I understand that, but I, and they think there's attention to it. But I can't tell you how many people say I joined, a movie, I joined the military because I saw a movie or I met somebody. And I, I just read today that the Army is lowering their standards to now you no longer have to have a high school education. That's how depleted they are in recruiting. Are you worried about that, Marcus? That I'm not saying so much to the Army, but overall the military recruiting's down. A sign of the times, right? We're in a transitional period in our country. We're all, we're all going through something. If, uh, if you wanted to make us a family, how would you do that? How would you make everyone in America Find commonality. Same? That's right. And what they do to us? Well, they made us sick. We all got sick together. You don't get battle weakened, you get battle hardened. So our generation after two, two wars for 20 years, that's what you did to us. After that, the ending sucked on our favorite movie, Afghanistan, right? It was kind of it was terrible. And then, and then what happened? Then you got us sick. We all got sick together. You don't think that's creating something? You mean something the division you? in our country. That's right. That's how you bring us together. I mean, it, it, it does that automatically. And there are peaks and valleys, the lulls. And when the, when the, the retention goes down and recruiting goes down, don't worry. Something will happen to push that back up. Okay. We have a natural way of correcting ourselves. And Americans are great. Self-correcting country. That's right. You can right. get them mad. You can get them happy. Do not piss them off. Right. We don't like that at all. I understand. You can do a lot of things. Don't do that to us. Right. right. And the worst thing that can happen is if everyone stops caring. Right. If everyone stops really giving a dang or damn about what goes on out here, then, then we'll be in trouble. But you know who else is in trouble? The world, because the world needs us well, uh, to be well, strong. That's a deeper conversation. You're absolutely right on that. Right. So as we're going through our transitional thing, let's do it. Don't come in here messing with us. Right. You definitely don't want to come in here and poke the bear while we're going through some stuff. Right. <laughs> Taylor, uh, Marcus, thanks so much. It's great to see you. So great that you came down to be here. And, Marcus, always great to see you. I asked you to come. You were supposed to come tonight. I asked you to come early, and you did. So I appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. What else is in your toolbox? Is there anything else you can do to help bring down the cost of gas? Yeah, well, first of all, let's just say that this is, this is a very real issue. And um, we have to do something about it. And it's one of our highest priorities as an administration. So there is the piece that is about gas and bringing down the cost of gas which in large part has exploded because of Putin's war in Ukraine. It's like she's wasting time in the hope of coming up with an answer because she has none. How could, how could, you, how could you not know? How could you not know how to answer that? that how could you not know how to answer that question quickly? Uh, Putin price hike, I know the administration says that, but as Kamala Harris asking about the number one issue in America, even more important than abortion, even though I saw a new study that showed that 60% of the country is more likely to vote because of abortion and vote because they want Roe v. Wade back. So I understand that's a big issue. But Kamala Harris left behind to do interviews. I mean, one question is, is worse than the next. She was asked this, and I'm not going to play it now because I'm up against a break. 
But she was asked about abortion. She says, I was born because of a mother who was brought here because of a mother. Abortion matters. And we will provide vouchers to travel people to get abortions. And I think the craziest thing, no matter where you are in this argument, pro-choice, pro-life, pro-abortion, is that I always thought that nobody wanted uh, to have to have an op- to, to to have that option of abortion, but people chose to have it. Now people are actually cheering it as if it's something to look forward to. How did everything get that twisted? Hey, uh, Brian Kilmeade show on the road. You hear some of the talk in the background. Michael Murphy Naval Seal Museum. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Proud to be coming to you from the Michael Murphy uh, Navy SEAL Museum in West Sayville, New York, on Long Island. A special day behind me. Here's some of the announcement in the ceremony. About a thousand people have gathered, many of which have served in the past with the teams, and many of which are their family members or just benefactors. People have donated their time, whether they're landscapers, whether they're builders, whether it's just checks, or whether it's people here to remember Michael Murphy and all those who served since 1942. Mark Penn is standing by. Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour. Brett Bear had a bit of a brawl. Uh, on the show. I cannot wait to talk about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVact. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVact.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. This is more death on the hands of the president. I can't think of anything worse than these people in that 18-wheeler suffocating. Can't go on. Dozens of stacks of bodies found in tractor trailers as illegals die horrifically in San Antonio, all because this administration will not crack down on the border. And the word is out around the country and around the world. Come one and come all and you can stay. Number two. Hey, pals, Dad. It's 8.15. Just want to talk to you. I thought the article released the thing on online. It's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times. was good. I need to clear. <laughs> Sooner or later, this is going to have to blow up in his face. President Biden not telling the truth. That's what he was has proven to be lying, essentially, when it comes to the knowledge of his hunter, hunt, his son, Hunter's business dealings. Not my opinion. You just heard his own words. Number one, they will pass a federal ban on abortion. Do you believe that would happen, Michael? Yes. <laughs> Without doubt or hesitation. Republicans care about life until the child is born. Well, isn't that nice? The latest on abortion rights and bans and the rhetoric heats up in places, in some places it overheats into violence uh, on the streets as both sides play politics with life and choice. With me right now is Mark Penn, chairman of the Harris Poll and chief executive of Stagwell Inc. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Good hey, Mark, first off, on, on first blush, politically which is the least important thing out of abortion, but politically, who stands to blame, who stands to gain with the abolition of Roe v. Wade? Well, look, I, I think things are a little up in the air at the moment, but, but generally I've said, and I, and I think it's true, suburban women who are trending Republican may have second thoughts. <clears throat> and those second, that, 
the critical midterm election vote, I think that had been, you know, more concerned about the pocketbook and inflation. And, and those are the voters, I think, who come up for grabs here. And so Democrats certainly have an opportunity because talking about, about choice is a better subject than inflation, immigration or crime. That's for sure. Which is uh, all trending in a bad direction for them. What did we learn in the period between when this decision leaked out, when Alito's papers leaked out, as a, and that interim period until now? Did it seem as though people were getting used to that fact or are things different now? Well, uh, you know, it, things aren't, aren't done until they're done. I, I think a lot of polling on this shows that most people would have really come out where Roberts wanted to come out. They would have pared it back. They wouldn't have removed it entirely. You know, most of the public uh, favors allowing uh, a choice or abortion up to 15 weeks, but, but certainly not in the third trimester. So it is an issue in which the, the country is somewhat divided. They probably, you know, this does throw everything in politics into, into turmoil, really, because the political system is going to have to decide something that it really hasn't decided, right? And, and instead the courts had come, stepped in and decided it for them. So it is a pretty good test of our, of our democracy and how it comes out. Yeah, I hear some cheering in the background as they get, get set to officially open the Navy Museum here. But you talk about uh, rhetoric a lot. Now the Democrats are trying to say next up is going to be gay marriage. Next up is going to be contraception because of what Clarence Thomas wrote. That clearly seems to be game plan they came up with over the last two months to get ready for this day, right? Well, I think, I think Thomas did open those subjects up, but he really appears to be the lone justice uh, and that Alioto Ali and the and the and the main decision really shuts the door on that. So I don't know how he's going to get uh, you know five justices over to that position. But uh, again, you know justices are not very good politicians. Uh, it probably would have been better you know for Thomas to have kept those views uh, to himself. But he, he said what he said, and I think it will play in politics. But uh, but I don't see it realistically how he's going to get support for that on the court. I want you to hear a little of what Michael Steele, who used to run the RNC, said about what the GOP will do. Maybe it has everything to do with the channel he's on. I'm not sure. Cut six. The House and the Senate, that they will pass a federal ban on abortion. Do you believe that would happen, Michael? Yes. (laughs) Without doubt or hesitation. They'll set the marker, and if they have the House and the Senate, they absolutely will. Will they overturn the filibuster to do it? Absolutely, because it's in their base's interest to do so. Absolutely, a national ban on abortion will be one of the first pieces of legislation, uh, probably next to uh, impeaching Joe Biden. That's hyperbole, if I could steal the president's favorite word. There's nobody talking about that, but that's where I think the strategy is in saying, you think this is bad, it's going to be worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's a bit of a scarathon going on, uh, but Roe versus Wade was overturned. A lot of people thought that that itself was a, was an unlikely outcome that the justices would be more likely, you know, to stick to sorry decisis. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think I don't think that either extreme is likely to pass Congress. I don't know if Congress is really going to wind be able to do anything at all relative to leaving this to the states. It'll be, again, part of what the whole midterms will be about is, is there a place that people are comfortable with? Most people would be comfortable with where Roberts came out, 
But the Democratic left probably wouldn't be comfortable with that, and the Republican right probably wouldn't be comfortable with that. So, so that's where it looks to me like it's going to go to states, and the more liberal states are going to have more liberal provisions, and less liberal states are going to have less liberal provisions. Per, Mark, uh, provision. Mark Penn, our guest. Mark, a lot of some people have speculated this is really going to affect states more than U.S. seats, uh, Congress seats, Senate seats, because states will decide what their abortion rules are going to be. Is that a theory you buy into? Yeah, no, I, I think most likely this is going to go to the states uh, and it will be fought out state by state. Uh, this will be uh, add an extra dimension to politics. I think the justices, frankly, intended that to be the case. They're let the political system figure this out. And the political system is not going to figure this out in a day. This is kind of a two to five year, you know, state by state battleground on, on what provisions will or will not work. You never know whether a different Supreme Court might might get reinvolved in this. I don't think this issue was really settled other than we're not going back to the 1960s uh, because there's no question that abortion will be fully available in key Democratic states. And then in today's world, people can often get there uh, and, and have the procedures, and a lot of companies are provided for employees. So there will be choice, uh, however, a different choice than existed you know, before this ruling. Mark, there's a story in today's New York Times, I'm sure you read, that said the Democrats won't take yes for an answer because Joe Biden keeps telling everyone, I am running. And for the most part, they just keep talking as if they're not sure if he's running or not. What's the story behind the scenes for a guy that knows all about reelections with the Clint, beginning with the Clintons? Well, when you ask the question in, in a poll to Democrats, who would you like to see as the next Democratic nominee for president? Usually the sitting president gets about 85 percent for that. Uh, in this case, uh, President Biden's getting around 30 percent uh, on that. So the, the truth is, Everybody knows that Democrats themselves are skeptical about him running a second term. I personally don't think he's going to run uh, a second term when all is said and done. But as, uh, as even before the midterms, I, I don't think any sitting president can say that. Got to say he's, he's running because he doesn't want to come off as a, as a lame duck president at, at this point. Uh, and I think the real decision will be made sometime after the midterms. If it's a good midterms, he will run. And if it's a, uh, as Obama called it, a shellacking, I think it makes it a lot less likely. Do you, th- do you think he should run? Um, again, with the limited support, he has, unless he was able to completely re-pivot his presidency, move it to the center, gain the leadership of the country, which is what we did in 19, you know, in 96, in the run-up to that election between 94 and 96. But I don't see any signs that he is willing, able, or wants to do that. And, and therefore, him running for re-election is, is, is unlikely, you know, to be, to, be, uh, you know, to be a successful event based on, you know, his current rating. So I, want, uh, yeah. I, I don't I think you... he will wind up running. I just, you know, that's my opinion. We'll see whether I'm right or wrong probably in the next eight months. Tell me if you can read between the lines here when Kamala Harris was asked. Cut 29. Congressman Jim Clyburn said last week that if President Biden doesn't seek re-election, you would be first on his list in 2024. Have you talked to President Biden about re-election? And what do you say to Congressman Clyburn? Joe Biden is running for re-election, and I will be his ticket mate. 
Full stop. Full stop. That's it. So, you feel better now? What do you think's going on? Is that the way she should have answered it? Yeah, that is the way she should have answered it. I don't think had she given any different answer, uh, that would have been uh, that would have been disastrous. Look, look, I think uh, I think politicians are famously inaccurate about their predictions about whether or not they will run for the presidency of the United States. Uh, I think I think there's no doubt that if Biden winds up not running, she's the favorite. She'll be running. Uh, I think she's the likely favorite because of the history in the Democratic Party. Uh, but again, we'll see. You know, it's very hard to figure out, like, who's going to be president this far out. You know, so you can talk about some likely scenarios. The likely scenario is, you know, Biden doesn't run. She's the nominee. But even that likely scenario is probably only 25 percent, you know, because there are so many other things that can happen that we haven't figured out yet in terms of other candidates, of you know, well-funded candidates who come in, third parties. There's so much that can happen in politics, but that's the likely course of events. Hey, my, Mark Penn, last question. Hillary Clinton last week says, I'm not going to run again. Should we believe her? Uh, I think in that case, uh, I don't think that, that she'll be running. And, of course, the big question, Mark, you didn't ask me on the other side, is whether Trump is running. But, but you know, the public, when I ask them, do they want Hillary, Trump, Biden to run again, the answer is no. They actually want, you know, someone new here. They're done with the politics of that era. You know, I think they're done with Pelosi, who's particularly unpopular, you know, as well. I think Trump is losing popularity uh, kind of weakly uh, as DeSantis gains within the Republican Party. You know, I, I once wrote a slogan, forward, not back, for another candidate, and I think that's the mood of this country. And I guess I lied. Well, I do have one more question. Do you think <laughs> when you compromise, like Republicans are looked as compromise, 14 of them did on this gun legislation, in this climate, is that political peril? No, I, I think I think it was – it was. Um, I, well, look, I think it's good for the country. I think two-party solutions – uh, when they occur like that, generally good for the country. I think they found a common ground. And I think that's exactly what the public wants. I think the public is sick and tired of whether it's crime or immigration or, you know, or fiscal responsibility. It's sick and tired of the, of the parties not getting together. And when they get together, those who are part of, part of the deal, and we discovered this in 96 when we made, we made deals, those who make the deals are the ones who benefit. It seem like they're doing, they're working for the country and not just for political gain and trying to take issues to midterms. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But to get through the primaries, if you show any type of, to this point, in the past, recent past, if you show any type of give and compliance, it seems to be viewed as weakness. Um. You know, I, I think the country is, is looking for people that, that, that work together. And, and, and I think that the, the proposals that they agreed upon are seen, if I polled them individually, as kind of overwhelmingly positive proposals, yeah. right, in the 70s or 80s. So, uh, look, I, 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 you know, I'm a little less familiar with Republican primaries and the dynamics uh, that, that could occur, but... Uh, uh, in any of them, and, and, and some of that's possible. But I think in this case, we'll see what happens. I think the senators that, that went this way uh, will likely gain politically rather than lose.
Mark Penn, you're unfailingly fair, and we truly appreciate it. I love the analysis. There's a, there's a lack of, of it. There's a, plenty of points of view. I appreciate you coming on, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listen, we come back. Your turn, one 408 And behind me you see some announcements because you have uh, the Navy SEALs have now par- uh, actually dropped. Yeah, they leapfrogged into uh, right outside the SEAL Museum, and they've just landed, and that is the applause you hear in the background. We're in West Stateville, New York. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to see the Secretary of Homeland Security come out to press today, come out and give a statement, and continue to lie to the American people that this border is secure and is closed, that you have operational control of the border, that your policies are safe, orderly, and humane. Because the fact is, your policies have called record illegal, has caused record illegal immigration. The more people that cross that border, the more that die. So under this administration, they broke a lot of records. A record number of migrants have already died during Joe Biden, over 700. Now add 46 more to it. A record number of Americans that have died from drug overdoses come across an open border. It, it, it's, it's just, this, this, this administration is breaking a lot of records. The records are all bad. Tom Homan, who used to be ICE director, border czar, uh, he has uh, had a distinguished career, saw the border, border better than any time in his entire life, and now it's never been worse. But you know that already. And what he's referring to and the reason why he was booked today on Fox & Friends is because yesterday we found out that 46 people dead in a tractor trailer, 16 others taken to a hospital because these migrant smugglers put these guys into a refrigerator truck and didn't turn on any refrigeration because they didn't want to be discovered, some theorize, among the deadliest tragedies to have claimed thousands of lives of people to across the border. This happens all the time. The San Antonio police chief said the officer received a call 10 minutes before 6. Uh, they show up and they saw what they saw. Also interesting, we don't have an ICE director. Why? They've taken all the prestige out of the position and all the power. Tony Gonzalez was offered the position, and he has turned it down. Uh, the nominee, is uh, his name is actually Ed Gonzalez, my bad. He said, I'm grateful to President Biden for the honor of nominating me, and I wish this administration well as it strives to overcome the paralyzing political gridlock that threatens far more than our, our nation's border. Frankly, the dysfunction threatens America's heart and soul. Believe me, it's all him. We might have gridlock. This is not an example of gridlock. This is an open border. All the money is going to bringing these people in and getting them accommodations. And I am sick of it. I hope you are too. I hope the Hispanic community sends this message to the president. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think that this is a seismic decision that we're going to be dealing with for years to come. I think it's uh, something that will really inflame a, a new culture war in the country. But if you're asking, does it affect what will happen in the November midterms? I'm not I'm not sure we know, because as Guy just said, Americans have a lot on their plates. Americans are very concerned about the cost of gas, the cost of food the availability of infant formula. And those are things that I think tend to be top of mind when people go to a poll uh, 
So I'm not sure about November, but we're going to be talking about this for a very long time to come. Well, that was Susan Page last night on on. Brett Baer has his show called Special Report, and that was her analysis. No one knows quite what's going on, but they do think it'll help Democrats in the short term to energize their base who couldn't be more depressed because of the performance of Congress as well as the president. With me right now is that host of Special Report, Brett Baer. Brett, no one really knows quite what's going to happen. We did see a poll out today that Democrats seem more motivated since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yeah, I think so. And I think you're going to see that definitely in the short term. And to Susan's point, the question is, what happens long term? We're in June. By November, what happens as far as washing that out? Is it as potent a political issue as it is today? We don't know. We do know that inflation is likely going to be around in significant uh, factor. and, And that's what most people are dealing with. I think abortion, and Britt Hume said it last night on the show, is really going to be fascinating in the battles in each individual state. There are some Republicans who, knowing that Roe v. Wade was in place as kind of a buffer, uh, went very aggressively and voted for very, very stiff, uh, strict laws that now they're going to look back at and say, should there be exemptions or for rape and incest? Should there be a cap at, you know, 15 weeks or, you know, some compromise in the legislation um, that had passed already? And I, and I think that that's where the battle is going to go. And maybe that changes the dynamic about the uh, wish on the federal, uh, you know, election cases. Yeah, possibly. Now this whole the debate about the abortion pill. Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating debate and and one in which the FDA is going to stand and say this this pill is authorized and should be available to everybody in the country. And some states are going to say no. Yeah, that'll be about. Yeah, I mean, that's and we had Governor Noam on and they talked about possibly uh, is there going to be a push among Republicans to go out, get some power and go out and ban abortion entirely and not even keep it up to the states? Michael Steele um, uh, actually speculated that. Cut six. The House and the Senate, that they will pass a federal ban on abortion. Do you believe that would happen, Michael? Yes, (laughs) without doubt or hesitation. They'll set the marker. And if they have the House and the Senate, they absolutely will. Will they overturn the filibuster to do it? Absolutely, because it's in their base's interest to do so. Absolutely. A national ban on abortion will be one of the first pieces of legislation, uh, probably next to uh, impeaching Joe Biden. I would guarantee you they will not put in the get rid of the filibuster if they get the majority and the presidency and get rid of abortion. I I think he's dead wrong. I mean, for as confident he as he was saying that, I, I see no evidence of that up on Capitol Hill. Yes, it's been talked about in some elements and some uh, lawmakers, uh, but in the leadership, I see nothing. I see a focus on energy exploration, on uh, you know taxes, on big picture uh, things. Um, Yes, there may be an effort uh, to have launch investigations back into Hunter Biden and other things that will be a part of all of that. But um, I don't see that as a as a priority for the leadership. When you watch Nancy Pelosi push that child, do you get the sense she pushes other children? This is the first one just caught on camera. 
I, I, you know, I looked at that video and I saw what Congresswoman uh, Flores said about it. Uh, I, I had bigger fish to fry yesterday. I know, which uh, brought me to. I watched the brawl yesterday. I thought you asked a question that if I I couldn't wait to answer if I was her, just to knock it out of the park and say it didn't well, happen. I mean, listen, here's my thought process, right? It's the Washington Post. It's doing a story. If she doesn't think that if she wins the primary, that Democrats are going to ask that question in debates or that they are going to focus on that, why not have the opportunity to address it head on? And instead what she did was attack me, attack Fox, and and that prompted me to press further about the original question that I asked. That's what I do. I ask questions that and I've done it since the beginning of covering politics, is both sides, Republicans, Democrats, what are their vulnerabilities? Are there stories out there that are potential problems? You ask in a way that allows them to address it. And if they, she addressed it head on and said something specific, I would have moved on. But, you know, it, that's what happens sometimes. And, you know, we had just been through four questions on the 2020 election. Um, and that's one of her campaign, you know, uh, stump speeches is that it's a stolen election and that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. We'll see how that works in Arizona. Yeah, we'll see. And it didn't uh, by work the way, in Georgia, but it may work in Arizona. It did yes. not work in Georgia, though. Right. Uh, Kari Lake is who you're talking about. Just by the way, the pause to everyone who knows. If you're just tuning in right now, I am alive at the Michael Murphy Navy, the opening of the Michael Murphy Navy Seal Museum in Sayville, New York. They have the official ceremonies behind me. Got about, I think, about a thousand, maybe more people behind me. And Dan Murphy, Michael's dad, is speaking and singling out different people that are here, including Marcus Luttrell and then Taylor Kitsch, who played Michael Murphy in the movie Lone Survivor. So just so you know, it's not your set. We're not in a bad situation. We're actually in a great situation with background noise. But here's a little of the exchange with Kari Lake uh, yesterday with you. Cut 30. This is absolutely ludicrous. I'm, I'm talking about drag shows in schools. This is what triggered this man. Somebody who goes to a drag show with female impersonators is one thing. We don't want our tax money going into drag shows at school. Okay, I understand and what you're making a difference the there, but you're I'm saying his allegations yeah. are wrong, is They're what you're false. saying. Yes, okay. I am. Right. And I'm really, I'm really appalled that you would spend time on a false story like that. It's shocking. Well, I think it's, it's, you didn't ask, it's important you didn't ask to have opponent. candidates address things that are coming up that might affect uh, a race. Truly. And I thought you would appreciate that. But you didn't that. ask my opponent, the establishment opponent who was here last week, you didn't ask her about her votes to allow illegal alien students to get a lower tuition than American students. You didn't ask her about okay. the 70-plus times that she raised tuition on American students. Right. You didn't ask her any so just questions. So we get the idea, the back and forth. So you were just asking her a question, and she... There's pictures of her at some type of, I don't know, uh, drag party? And yet yeah, no, this guy, it was a drag queen, goes by Barbara Seville, says that they had a long relationship and as whatever. They, they were friends, and she came to parties, and, and he said she, he performed at her house, whatever. I, I, what what <laughs> the point was was that the Washington Post story was about hypocrisy, is that she's talking about drag queens negatively he pops up and says well wait a second this is who she was before she's trying to make a dis difference between 
going to drag shows and partying with these people and having them with your kids. I don't really understand the issue. I'm not sure drag queens were heading to kindergarten classes, but um, that's where the differential she's making. He comes up. Washington Post does a story. I make the assumption that she wants to address it head on, and that's where the uh, – the battle comes because she says she's appalled. So listen, some interviews uh, go off the rails. Others don't. Uh, we just keep on asking questions and uh, right. give people time to answer. Them. Well, it got me. T- I was uh, working out at the time and I go, wait a second. I got to put the sound up here. You know, I got to make it loud. I go, what's going on? Why they, you know, plus a lot of the still pictures of people in drag, I'm, I'm never used to it. They're kind of catching me by surprise of late. <laughs> They're all over every channel. So I, I'm very confused about some news cycles. This is one of them. This is one of them. And you know what? It's, it's now, of course, now uh, the former president has weighed in. And I'm very unfair. Very unfair, Brett, there. Very unfair. Which is a I'll, wonderful song, I think. Uh, wait a second. How uh, did he say it? Very unfair, Brett. There. Um, <laughs> no, he he said it on Truth uh, Social. I guess I I just saw a clip about it. So, right. listen, uh, it's it's part of the political process. There's going to be questions that politicians don't like, and um, I thought you, know, you were we very fair. asking on both sides. So, can you tell me about your special now on fi- on on Fox Nation? Yeah, so uh, we've got this uh, the a couple of things running at the same time. Right now is the unauthorized history of uh, Vietnam uh, that is really got a lot of acclaim about um, the research that went into it and uh, people learning, even Vietnam experts, about uh, some of the stuff that has been uncovered. And that was really, really uh, a fun project to work on, and I think uh, it's worth the time to take a look at it. It's a number of different parts. And then the other one is Lost Ships of World War II, which is really cool underwater exploration of battleships um, sunk in World War II and the effort to find the remains. So uh, two great projects that, and what a great day for you out there at that uh, Navy SEAL. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, I love this stuff. So that's, and we have a reason for you to come to Long Island. And one of the reasons to the Navy SEAL museum and what makes it better, it's adjacent to a golf course. So you could do everything you (laughs) want for you, Brett. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) The game of golf has not asked me has asked me to stop, uh, as collectively both the Live Tour and PGA both agree I shouldn't be golfing. You know, you could get some serious money uh, broadcasting on the Live Tour. <laughs> you listen, Can I'm gone. A side gig, three billion dollars. <laughs> That's what I would need. Well, listen, you, you know, I had Greg Norman on that night. He puts a strong uh, no, argument up there. I saw the interview. It was good. All right, we'll see where you go. See if Brett Bear ends up on that tour, too. Brett, see if there's enough money to lure you back. Um, yeah, I don't know. Lake Tahoe Celebrity Classic uh, next week, so we'll see how I, I do. All right, I'm predicting victory. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll call you from out there. All right, go get him. Uh, you got to beat John Smoltz first. Um, Brett Bear, thanks so much. We'll see you. All right, go to Fox Nation, too. Uh, let me see. We're going to finish up things at the Michael Murphy Seal Museum in just a moment. I'm so glad you're here, Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden transferred Hunter uh, $100,000 in December 2018 and January 2019. And during the same time frame, Hunter Biden spent uh, over $30,000 on uh, on uh, escorts that are linked to Russian bank accounts. That video that you just show, that you just showed, um, Joe Biden wired Hunter Biden $5,000 about two and a half hours before that was filmed. Now, Senators uh, Grassley and Johnson published a report in 2020 saying that Hunter Biden had or alleging that Hunter Biden had engaged in transactions with a suspected human trafficking or prostitution ring tied in uh, Eastern Europe. So understand what's going on here. Today in the cover of the New York Post shows that Joe Biden actually had a voicemail left for his son that was on his laptop for some reason. He downloaded it to his laptop. And I have a theory on that. That talked about how don't worry about that story coming out in uh, uh, in the Washington Post. I think you're going to be okay. And the reality is he shouldn't be okay. He's doing international business deals with absolutely no qualifications with a Chinese energy company and a multi-billionaire who has gone missing, ironically, and then a, a, a partner in Devin Archer that gets arrested now in jail for a year because of unsavory activities. And this is going to come out in 2018. The Washington Post writes it. And I imagine someone got to the Washington Post to sanitize it like they do everything. They later would just neutralize the whole laptop until after two and a half years the pressure got too great and that was andrew kerr the washington examiner investigative reporter who's saying why is hunter biden getting money from joe biden in russia and what he used it for looking at the bank trank transactions is prostitutes now no one says that joe biden knows that he also gave him something like twenty thousand dollars to go into a drug rehab which by the way he seems to have put in his pocket and not gone feel bad for joe biden on that but why would you put him under stress and have the family fortunes on his shoulders as you go to different countries that may or may not destroy your political career as you use the power of Joe Biden as senator and vice president to get big bucks? Here's more from Andrew Kerr. It's not clear at the moment whether these payments that we're reporting on are linked to what Senators Grassley and Johnson were talking about. But it is important to note that we did uh, pull text messages from a copy of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop showing that Hunter Biden was talking to a, a woman uh, linked to this uh, escort agency saying that, hey, I, I can't make payments to these bank accounts linked to Russian email addresses because they're throwing red flags from my bank account. In, in one instance, he said that his bank account was frozen temporarily because he was trying to make payments to uh, Russian email addresses uh, for this, these escort services. So, um, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible, the amount of money that Joe Biden was sending Hunter Biden and then what he was using that money on. Yes, everything about this is insane. If you had, I don't know, Donald Trump Jr. doing a tenth of this, even if he was the crazy son that no one could control, it wouldn't matter. They would just destroy the whole Trump business. And if Donald Trump had given Donald Trump Jr., theoretically, if he had some type of problem, money, and even though it wouldn't be linked to anything negative, he used something for it negative, that would be the story. But again, you have a guy looking the other way, and I believe Hunter Biden wants to get caught. I think he, on some level, wants to destroy his family. Here's more from Andrew Kerr. This, was coming, this is in a time frame where Hunter Biden, despite making tens of thousands of dollars a month as a director for Burisma. He was essentially broke. His bank accounts were running in the negative. 
Uh, he couldn't afford car payments. And in one instance, he was reduced to begging his sister-in-law to, to fork him over some cash so he could uh, afford ski lift tickets. He was he didn't have a dime to his name, uh, yet somehow he still was able to spend $30,000 on on escorts. What is going on? How do you get millions from these countries and have nothing left and and being obsessed with prostitutes, but yet you want to go skiing with your family? So Josh Boswell is a Daily Mail reporter, and he talked about this voicemail. And the voicemail essentially says it's kind of low, but essentially says, hey, I don't think the, the 2018 article in the Washington Post is going to be a big deal. And Josh Boswell says this, cut 22. I think this is a really important revelation that we have. It's coming right from the president's mouth. And I think that it's almost more important what wasn't said, right? It, it wasn't a phone call from Joe Biden to his son saying, what the hell are you doing? Like, I'm reading about deals with uh, corrupt criminal Chinese businessmen. Uh, what's going on? It's you're in the clear, right? He clearly knew what was going on. Yes, Josh Boswell you are sharing our amazement, which we've been amazed with two and a half years as we go deeper and deeper in this. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks to everybody who made this Navy SEAL Museum opening so special. Michael Murphy certainly was and his family to open and come here and see these great war fighters is fantastic. And everyone who put this all together uh, and Allison for making the trip to Long Island because it's so far from Jersey. Uh, and keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.